Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Oppressed and enslaved in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years, the people of Israel cried out to God for help. Seeing the affliction of his people, God began his redemptive plan to one day lead them out of slavery and into the promised land. So God appeared to Moses saying, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Pharaoh would not let the people go, though plague after plague served as a sign to him of God's power and sovereignty. Not until the tenth and final plague was Pharaoh finally moved to send the people of God away. So they left the land of Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea, passing from slavery to freedom. Good morning, ACF. Let's celebrate our opportunity to be together this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, if you're with us online as well at an ACF Outpost, we love you. And if you're new, we are honored that you're with us here today. It's a, it's a really cool season for us as a church as we're kind of getting back together. We just opened the doors to this building uh, Christmas Eve. And so it's been a really neat time, just kind of, we've got a 9 and 11 a.m. service, which is amazing now. We, uh, we needed that, which is a, a praise God moment that we ran out of room. So we had to launch a, another gathering. And so, in fact, I'm losing my voice this morning because I did so much screaming at the early service. And so, anyway, you're going to have to help me out here. I'm going to do my best to, uh, to be able to get through this, this message here today. But um, first thing I want you to do is reach under your seat or somewhere and grab one of these booklets real quick. Um, our team has put together a reading plan for the rest of uh, this series. So one of the things I hear from a lot of people is um, that I just don't read my Bible enough. And if you're with us online, there's going to be a link to that floating around as well. And in our outposts, uh, your outpost leader knows, they know about this. And so um, at any rate, there is a plan for you to read throughout the next eight weeks. And so this is going to be the series that we'll be in until Easter. And we're, we're walking through the first 12 books or 12 chapters of the book of Exodus. And it's going to lead us all the way to the Passover uh, in the story. And then we're actually going to celebrate the Passover on Good Friday and then Resurrection Sunday on Easter Sunday. So really excited. But listen, hey, take this home. Don't leave it on the floorboards of your car. Uh, You know, don't just leave it in your Bible. Put it somewhere, not on that shelf where you throw everything away at the end of the week, but like leave it somewhere where you're going to see it. Uh, Maybe it's just in your bathroom next to the sink, and it's just going to keep you on track with uh, the series. And it's also got some questions and some insight into what we're talking about. And so you should be able to take this, sit down with a friend, and uh, have a cup of coffee and have a conversation about this series that we're walking through. So really excited about that. Um, but this, this is going to be a really good journey for us. I'm really excited about this story that we're walking through. And if you, in fact, if you want to open your Bible, open up to Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible, so really easy to find. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can download the ACF Church app, and all the text will be there as well. And so I'm going to start us off in Exodus chapter 6, actually. We're going to come back to chapter 1 at the end of the message. But this is going to be a bit of a theme text throughout the entire series. And so let's read this. 
It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from underneath the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So, Okay, when did this whole thing happen? This is like 3,500 years ago, which brings up a question, why do we need to read this today, right? Uh, Maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't read the Old Testament because it's old, right? It's just, it's old stuff. And and I don't need to to know old stuff. I just need to know some some new stuff. But again, this is going to be a really important journey for us because it's going to give us some important context into the stories of Jesus. And I honestly believe it's going to give us some perspective on our own lives, and one of the things that we say a lot around here is that the Bible is, is a story that's for you, but it's not a story that's about you. And so sometimes we'll do a series like about, maybe you're thinking, Brian, teach me about anxiety right now, because I got some, some anxiety, right? Uh, I bought some, bought some GameStop stock, and it's crashing this week. I had some anxiety, right? My kids are freaking out. I got some anxiety. I'm a homeschool mom or dad, you know? I'm, I got some anxiety. Well, Whatever your struggle may be, whether it be anxiety or your marriage or, or just whatever it may be in life, I want you to know that the more you know about God, the better you will be set to deal with the struggles of your life. I mean, when you understand the character of God, that he actually exists with you in the struggle and in the suffering, it will give clarity to your marriage. It'll teach you about your relationships. It's going to teach you about your future. It's going to reduce your anxiety. It might even help you out with your GameStop stock. I don't know. I'm not sure. But it will help you with all aspects of your money, certainly, of how we should spend and manage our finances. When we understand the character of God, we'll know how to walk through these these different parts of our lives. And so this is going to be really important for us to walk through. And, And as we see this story unfold, we're going to begin to ask some questions. Because as you guys read a story, you're, you're going you're gonna to see things that you'll, you'll have a struggle with or, or questions that will come out. And one of those questions is, where is God? Where is God? Does he care? What is he doing right now? And maybe over the past nine months, you have asked these three questions. Where is God? Does he care? What is he doing right now? Because it is a broken world, isn't it? I mean, we as Christians, what we believe is that God is actually going to redeem this world. We believe that it will be heaven on earth. In fact, Jesus teaches us to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we have our our vision statement as a church, that it would be in Alaska as it is in heaven. And so we believe that that's the future, but understand this, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Okay? Like, like some of you are looking at the world, you're like, it doesn't look much like heaven, kind of looks like hell, in fact. Um, if we're honest, there's a lot of brokenness in the world. And what the book of Exodus does is that Exodus gives us permission to lament over our broken world. This is so important, Christians. Like, if you're a believer in the room, you need to know how to lament. And to lament just means to mourn, to grieve. In fact, there's a book of the Bible called lamentations, right? It's all, it's all about this, this idea that there are broken things in the world that, is, that are worth grieving. And one of the things that drives me crazy is when Christians can't acknowledge the suffering and the struggles of the world they live in, right? Like we feel the need that we need to just kind of put on a happy face, you know, and text out a little, you know, Instagram-worthy uh, uh, Bible verse for the day or whatever it is in the face of really difficult things. And sometimes you just need to say, it stinks. Life's hard. It's painful, Right? 
And as we walk through the story, we see that there really is pain, but God's presence is made known in the middle of your suffering. There really is pain. This is so important. And, and if you don't acknowledge this, you're going you're to misunderstand God. And this is an important question because if you're not a Christian, you're wondering, well, where is God in the suffering, right? And if you don't know the character of God, you're going to think, well, either he doesn't know or he knows and he doesn't care or he knows and he cares, but he's just not strong enough to do anything, right? So you're going to, you need to know the character of God so that we can know what to do with the suffering in our lives. And so question, how broken is the world? What's happening around us that would make us start to talk about the struggles of the world. I'm going to give you a few things that I was reading about this week. First, uh, for, for us as Christians, if you're a believer, do you know that 260 million Christians are currently experiencing high levels of persecution in the world? 260 million high levels of, so just so you know, that's not us. We're not part of that 260. Uh, one day we might be, but for most of us as Americans, you know, the, the, the resistance we feel is fairly low level at this point. Uh, countries like North Korea see Christianity as a threat to their government, and they are on a mission to wipe it out. So we know that to be the case. In places like Pakistan, um, their laws are guided by Islamic law, which means if a, if a Christian is accused of blasphemy, they're actually sentenced to death. Again, like as I was reading these this week, I was like, we have a lot to be thankful for. We still have a lot to be thankful for as Christians, especially in the U.S. Um, I would say that uh, in the United States, uh, Christianity is in an interesting season, isn't it? Uh, so some of you I have never seen before, and I'm so glad that you're here. Others of you I haven't seen in like years, and you're back. And others of you, I don't know where you went, right? Uh, you might be watching online, or you might have just said, peace out to the church. I'm done with that. It really made no difference in my life before COVID, and so what makes me think it would make a difference after and so I've said this before that I think we're in a sifting season as a church, as the global church, really, where God is kind of sifting out, like, who really believes this stuff? Because I want you to know it's going to get harder and harder to say, I'm a Christian. It's going to get harder and harder to check that box. And so really it's sifting out, like, do you believe this? Do you want this? Do you have a vision for God's kingdom? Because if you don't, listen, you're, you're just not going to make it, Right? Like, you're not going to put up with losing friendships and saying things that make you uncomfortable and, and, and giving up your life and your resources to pursue the things of God. Like, it just, it won't be worth it. But for those, I think, right now who believe in Jesus, those of you who are like, no, I, I'm in the family of God and I see a vision for what God is doing in the world, I believe right now this is the day for the church. Like, we really are in an incredible time. Uh, I would say for me as a leader, I've been a pastor for 17 years. I have never been more excited about what the church is doing right, than right now. I mean, there are incredible opportunities for all of us. But I will say that I'm also seeing Christians shrink back. And many Christians being more willing to speak out about politics or, you know, homosexuality than they are to simply go cross the street and tell their neighbor about Jesus. So there's this weird change of dynamics and, and this weird like change of what priorities are. So I'm seeing that. Uh, Barna Research says that right now one in five churches are closing their doors. Uh, I would say that that's probably pretty accurate for our local community. A lot of churches are struggling. 
Um, it's, a, it's a weird thing with this online church community where, um, you know, for those of you who are online, you can switch away at any minute, right? The Super Bowl's coming. You just go watch the pregame show if you want to. And so we've got this sort of consumer mentality that's growing in the church. And, and if you're new to ACF, one of our values is this. We are not consumers. We are contributors. We say this, life is not a, not a vacation. It's a mission. We're actually on mission as God's people. And so um, this changes the way that we deal with things. We don't have to go church shopping. We actually plug into a church and we contribute and we make it our own. And so, but one in five churches are um, closing their doors right now. Um, Barna Research also says that only 18% of 18 to 29-year-olds have what he, they call a resilient faith, which means uh, when, when confronted with some hard questions, they know how to, to defend what they believe. They're going to stick with it. Um, and then they know how to get answers to their questions, which is why uh, we just launched our 1825 group. You're going to hear more about that, but that's for people in that 18 to 25 demographic where you're, you're, you're just needing some support and some encouragement. And so we believe that that's a, that's a real need right now. Uh, depression and anxiety, we know those things are on the rise globally. It's been a hard year. That's why we launched Hope to Alaska Um, Thank you, by the way, for buying shirts and giving to that. We're just seeing people plugged in. People are getting counseling that need it. We're just seeing people get the help they need right now in Alaska. So really excited about that that kind of glimmer of light amidst the darkness. Um, Over the course of the past year in the U.S., um, 419,000 people have died from COVID-19. And uh, the number might be up for, that was the last statistic I saw, but um, number is going up, certainly. And, and some of those people may be your family members or your friends, and that's a, that's a real concern to grieve through that. Um, but also in the United States, annually, um, 600,000 abortions, okay? So, so that's, we got to look at that and go, nobody wants to talk about this number. We got another number we want to talk about. And, and, and I, I understand that even that's going to trigger some of you when we bring that up. But know this, we, we are 100% pro-life and pro-mom. So we are both. And some, I know it doesn't fit in your category. But uh, we love moms and we love babies all, all at the same time. So anyway, that's a side note. But it's a broken world. It's a broken world. There's a lot of struggle. And I know you're like, Brian, you must be so fun at parties. This was This was exciting. But here's the thing. If you don't understand how bad the situation is, you won't understand how beautiful the story of Jesus is. You have to acknowledge that like things are messed up. There are needs. And and your friends who don't know Jesus, your neighbors, our neighbors, they're asking the same questions many Christians are, which, which is this. Where is God? Does he know? Does he care? And I just want you to know your life is answering those questions for your friends. The way that we live, the way that we operate moving forward will answer those questions for our friends. In the end, what's wrong with the world is something the Bible calls sin, okay? So sin is not a popular thing to talk about, but sin, here's all it is. If you're like, I I recoil from that word. Sin is simply any time we accept less than God's best for our lives. Anytime we compromise and we say, here's God's best, I'm going to kind of accept something just a little less than that, that's, the Bible calls that that's sin. And as we read the Bible, we see God kind of flesh that out for us through the scriptures, but that is what sin is, is a world. We live in a world full of people who accept less than God's very best for them, which results in a lot of broken homes, broken situation, broken marriages. And this sin is actually 
it's something we're enslaved to. And this is really where the story of Exodus starts to take off for us. And we start to see ourselves in the book of Exodus is that, is that we're enslaved to lots and lots of different things. Any kind of sin, it actually enslaves us. I was reading a book this week, and I read this little parable um, about a little boy. And I felt like it explains the slavery of sin pretty well. Here, here's, here's the little story. I'm going to read it for you. It says, A little boy visiting his grandparents was given his first slingshot. He practiced in the woods, but he could never hit his target. As he came back to grandma's backyard, he spied her pet duck, because every grandma has a pet duck, apparently. On an impulse, he took aim and let one fly. The stone hit, and the duck fell dead. The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. (laughs) Didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help make supper. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it. He confessed to Grandma that he'd killed the duck. I know, Johnny, she said, giving him a hug. I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. Now listen to this. I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. This is our story. And this really is the story of Israel enslaved to Egypt. And so what is it that enslaves you? Like, what is it that has power over you, right? What is it that you're you're giving authority in your life that's taking you away from God's very best for you? So there's going to be this overarching metaphor through this series, and it's just this, that Egypt is a picture of what enslaves us. Egypt is... It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a picture of whatever it is in your life that enslaves you. Now, we all have slave masters. In fact, the Bible says you're going to be a slave to something. That's how the human um, mind and heart is, is created, is that we are actually going to be enslaved to God or to something in this world, to, to sin itself, okay? So I just want you to know that. We're either going to go, God, I want to follow you. I want to do whatever you want. God, show me what to do with my life, or we're going to give that authority to something else. And so for some of us, like, it's really obvious, right? You're thinking of maybe yourself or your friends, and you're like, yeah, it's, uh, for this friend, it's alcohol, right? Like, they just, since the beginning of COVID, man, they've just been drinking way too much, and I can see that they're enslaved to this addiction. It's really clear. Or another friend is like, they're just, you're like, they're a rageaholic, right? They're just always angry, and they just let it out in the worst. You're like, oh, man, they're enslaved to their rage. You know, there are things that are very visible that we enslave ourselves too. But then there are other things that aren't so visible, right? Like we church people, we're really good at hiding our slave masters. Does that make sense? Like we're really good at walking in here with a smile on our face and acting like there's nothing wrong. And we sort of, we hide our slave masters in the darkness of our lives. And, you know, there are things that we struggle with as well. And maybe it's something more overt, but maybe you're just judgmental. 
So you hide your judgmentalism. Maybe you manipulate, you lie, you sleep around, you're addicted to pleasure, and that pleasure is taking you away from the things that God wants for you, the best that he has for you. Maybe you're addicted to, to, to things, and so money enslaves you, right? It's what you worry about. It, it, all week long, you've been worrying about the stock market, right? So that you're up and you're down and you're emotional because it has a hold on your life, right? So the question is, what is your slave master? What is it that has authority over you? And this, this idea of Egypt, as we see God's people being ushered out of slavery, I mean, what if it's not so much about God's people getting out of Egypt as it is about God getting Egypt out of his people, getting the, the slavery out of his people, releasing them from the things that restrict them and keep them from his best so one of the questions as we go to a book of the Bible that we should always ask is, uh, who is it written to? Like, who is this story specifically for? Well, this was written to a people who grew up in the wilderness. This is who the book was written to. It's, so if we look at a timeline of Moses' life, he had, he had 39 years to write Exodus between the time period of when the Israelites departed from Sinai and his death. Um, he's writing to a post-Exodus generation. So second generation released from slavery in the wilderness. And it's actually an origin story. So you got these people in the wilderness who don't really know how they got there. They don't really know all of what happened, just maybe from word of mouth. And so this story is being written to remind them of where they came from. So like you, you came to church today. Um, you're watching online. You have an origin story. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, you have a, a story of that what, what got you to where you are. If you're a believer, you have a moment in your life where like God showed up, where you laid your, yourself at the feet of Jesus and you just said, I can't fix it. I can't fix my life. I know I can't do it. My religious behavior is never going to be enough. And you just said, God, save me. And that's, that was your, your moment, right? You came from something. Uh, some of you have church wounds, like, I bet I could do a show of hands. Everybody here's got, I've got church wounds. Like, things that have hurt me in either the, the church, the, the organization of the church, or from church people, right? So that brings us to where we are. So we all have this origin story. We've all come from something, and you all have certain victories in your life, too. You all have things that God has freed you from, where you look back, if you're honest, and you're like, man, I actually have gotten a little better with this, you know? I've gotten a little more respectful with my wife. You know, I thought I was going to lose my marriage, and so I, I got myself back together, and now it's like I'm more respectful with my wife. Or, or maybe, you know, you've, you've worked through an addiction. There's some freedom there, and, and maybe you do, you do kind of love Jesus more today than you used to, and that's, that's by God's grace that you've got that, 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 that journey, right? And so it's so important for them, as much it is, as it is for us, to see that, that we have an origin. We have a, a journey that we've been on, and it's only by God's grace that we aren't enslaved to everything we used to be. And this is important. So, so you've got to be reminded of that just like I do. And so there are, are, are a few themes. I'm going to get to a few themes, and then we're going to get to Exodus 1 here at the end. But, but a few themes that I see throughout this whole section of Scripture. The first is this. There's no freedom in a life without God. They're enslaved, they're working their fingers to the bone, they're oppressed, and there is no freedom in their lives. Apart from whatever God would do for his people, they would wander and, and walk in, in slavery. And so only by God's grace would they be released from that. And so for us, we need to remember that there's no freedom 
Maybe you think, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to be restricted, but I just want you to know, again, you will be a slave to something, to God or to sin. And so you get to choose what you will be enslaved to. There is no freedom apart from God. I remember as a kid, I used to uh, beg my parents to give me a credit card. That's all I wanted, right? All I understood was they scanned the card, they got the stuff. And I was like, I want to scan the card and get some stuff, right? And I just remember for, for years when I was little begging, give me a credit card. No, give me a credit card. No. I didn't realize that when you scanned the card, you got a bill, right? Like you were racking up debt. And I think there's this idea that if I, if I don't acknowledge God, if I don't call myself a Christian, then I can live life as recklessly as I want to, and I will never have anything to pay. And I just want you to know that that is not the truth of the gospel. And the bad news is you are racking up debt, and you have from the day you were born. And me, me too. I mean, so much debt that you are, you are bankrupt in the eyes of God, and you can't pay it off. And at some point, we have to admit that. And so at some point, we realize that there is no freedom in fact, sometimes you, maybe you see the Bible as restrictive in your life. But uh, I heard somebody describe it like this. The Bible is restrictive like, like a cast is on a broken arm. Right? It's sure, it restricts in a way that allows you to heal. And as we go to the scriptures, we say, God, what should I do? How should I live? The, the restriction that you feel is actually going to lead to your healing. It's going to lead to flourishing in your life and in your, in your family's lives. It's going to help you. In the end, second theme is this. God wants to know us personally. This is so cool. Do you know that God wants to know you? I mean, you, me. God wants to know us on a personal level. And in Egypt, um, God's people find themselves in a polytheistic culture, which is a culture that believes in many, many gods. And so in America, if you, hopefully you know this, like we live in a polytheistic culture. In a world where there are many, many different gods that people believe in, right? And so what comes with that is this idea that God's not really a personal being. There's not one God, there's many gods, right? We sort of have this you-do-you mentality when it comes to spirituality, right? You just do your God, I'll do my God, which is ridiculousness, right? Especially when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through... Yeah, I heard the mumble from the church people, Yep. Me. Yeah, me. Jesus. Jesus says some stuff that you could get kicked off of YouTube for today, right? I mean, this is the stuff that, and, and I, I'm going to acknowledge this as a church leader, and we should acknowledge this as Christians, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder, okay? I fully expect that there will be more and more pressure over the years because we as Christians, we do not believe that many ways lead you to heaven, right? That there are not many ways to God. There is one way to God, and his name is Jesus, that's what we believe. And so that's offensive. And we have to know that. We have to go, okay, so this is going to offend some. It's going to be hard. And just so you know, Christianity isn't the only uh, belief system or faith that says that their God is the only God. So we're not, we're not the only ones doing this. But as we look at the story, we look at our lives, we look at the life of Jesus, we say, Jesus, he's the real deal. And, and he is the only way to heaven, right? And if you don't get this and believe that there is only one God, I even know church people, and people who would say, I'm a Christian, who are like, but I think that there's also a lot of ways to heaven. Just so you know, there's not, you can't hold both of those at the same time. You can't say, I follow Jesus, and yet there's many, many ways to heaven. It's just, that, that's, not, that's not Jesus, okay? 
And we see this played out in a lot of different ways. In fact, I watched this video a couple weeks ago. Maybe you saw it of a, a congressman that was praying. Did you watch this video? So in the prayer, he gets up and he actually references the Bible. He quotes uh, from a Hindu god, okay? So he references the Bible, a Hindu god, and then he ends with amen and a woman, okay? So, th- so this was his effort. Now, again, I want to I tell you that this, this prayer, I don't know this man's heart or his journey, but I think his prayer says more about us than it does about him. I think it says more about our society than it does. He's up there going, how do I acknowledge that everything's true? How do I just tell everybody, whatever you believe, whatever is most important to you, I want to I acknowledge that all of those things are true at the very same time. So the, the current popular worldview is that the only truth that's acceptable to believe is the belief that there is no truth. Which, as you see, is a self-defeating statement, right? The current popular worldview is that the only truth that is acceptable to believe is the belief that there is no truth. And you could even extend that to unless it's mine. There's no truth unless you agree with me, unless, unless it's my truth. My truth is the only truth, but there is no truth. So anyway, it just, it turns into insanity, doesn't it? I mean, at some point you're like, what are we doing, right? And that's because that there is one God. And there's one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus. We're going to keep coming back to that over and over and over again. Some kind of God will not save you. Belief in Jesus will. And that's what we believe. And the last theme is this, um, that God is most active where we think he is most absent. Where is the darkest part of your life right now? Like, I mean, some of you are dealing with major, major things. And I know it. I know you walk in here with some burdens. And in those burdens, we tend to think that God is not present because it's dark, right? Like, it seems hopeless. But I just want you to know the parts of your life where you seem like, it seems like God's most absent, he's actually doing his best work in that space. Like, that's going to be the thing that God uses to transform you, right? In fact, we got together to pray earlier uh, for you as a, as a team, as the band and everything. And uh, Mason shared uh, Paul's verse about his thorn in the flesh. This idea that he has this, this thorn in his life, this thing that afflicts him. And yet, in, God allows that into his life to show that God's grace is made perfect in his weakness. Like, that thorn is actually how God reveals himself to Paul. And I just want you to know the same is true with you. It's through those dark things, those scary things, those things that you think are hopeless, that God is actually doing his deepest work. And God's people have always struggled with this. They've always questioned God's promises, right? And in fact, last week, Angela did a great job of just sharing the journey of how Abraham was made this promise by God that he'd be a a father of of many nations. And And then we read that he does, right? So Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, then Jacob has 12 sons. And this brings us to Exodus chapter 1. Verse 1 says this, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Okay, so we got all of these brothers brought back together. So if you know the, the backstory, right, Joseph's brothers try to sell him into slavery, which I have a brother, he never did that to me. So Joseph's already got one leg up on the suffering, right? But then what ultimately happens is that Joseph gets this authority. He ends up second in command to Pharaoh. 
And now this family is brought back together and reunited in Egypt. Verse 6, it says this, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. So that was a gear shift, right? Yay, family together. Everybody's dead. So one of the things you got to see is that we're covering a long, like a lot of time. This is, it's confusing sometimes as we read that, that we're covering generations over just verses here. Um, and so there's a lot going on. But what happens here is you've got Joseph, who has the ear of the Pharaoh. And so all of God's people, I would imagine they felt a certain um, freedom and safety in that. They knew that the, the second in command was, was somebody who was, was ultimately after God's heart for his people. And so they felt this security and safety in that. They had influence in, in the authority and the administration that, that had authority over them. And then all of a sudden, Joseph and that Pharaoh are dead. So now there's a transfer of power. And God's people are going, uh-oh. Does this sound familiar? Anybody? Okay, so again, I'm just telling you, this, is, this book is for us today. There's a transfer of power. There's a lot of Christians going, uh-oh, right? What's coming up next, you know? Again, we always look back and we have rose-colored glasses on the past, but as you as a Christian, you look at what's going and moving in, in this generation from a, from a political standpoint, there's a lot of concerns, right? There's a lot of people wanting to buy cabins in the bush of Alaska right now, right? It's just like, get me out of here because people are concerned. And this has happened, it seems like, with every president that gets elected, by the way. I'm just saying, it's a side note, that we, we always fear. We always fear. We get concerned. We're worried. We're like, well, what if this person doesn't believe what I believe? And, and again, this is a lot of, I think, what they were struggling with as well. Now, now they don't have the same influence on the administration that's above them, but I love what verse 7 says. There's hope, okay? But. Praise God for buts in the Bible. That's going to get on Twitter. Anyway. Um, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So this is incredible. As you look at history, you look at how, how the church works and how God works through the suffering of the world, all that has to happen is oppression and God's people, they explode and grow. The church grows through times of oppression. We look at our brothers and sisters in China and, and how the church has grown in China under this oppression. And I, look at the book of Acts. The reason that the gospel was spread to the countryside was because there began to be oppression of God's people. So in this story, the more that they were oppressed, the more they grew. Nothing can stop the church. This is why I get so excited about where we're at. As I know some of you are like, this seems like it's getting really bad. It is. But what I know is, is I look at the story, as I look at our origin story as Christians, is that this is when it gets good. Like, like when we're all just doing our religious churchy thing, we just wake up and there's no, there's no opposition and we can just say, oh, I'm a Christian and everybody says they're a Christian. It's, just, it, it's easy to live this kind of religious lifestyle with actually, without actually surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus. And so we want, as a church family, to, to take hold of something new, right? Again, it's going to get harder, but it's going to get better for the church. It's going to get harder. There'll be some struggles. But what I mean by better is it's going to grow. And people are going to be after what you believe. And you're telling the story of who your God is with every decision you make all day long. And it's being tested. I know it's being tested. And it's not always easy. So at this point, what was 70 people is now probably two to three million people. God's family has grown, right? God's people have expanded just as he promised Abraham. 
Verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters, slave masters, over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh stone cities, Pithom and Ramses. So here we read that this king, this king was scared. Do you know that as God's people, you, you create fear? Like, do you know that the enemy fears God's people who are fully surrendered to the power and authority of Jesus? Like there's, do you know that he's shaking in his boots because Jesus has already won the war, right? And do you know that anybody that, that, that follows the kingdom of this world and that does not believe in the things of Jesus, that, that as you follow, follow Jesus, you're going to create fear. And what we know historically, just look at history, is that fear always leads to oppression. That's what happens. Because we're scared, right? And so this is how the world operates, is that, that there's, there's fear that leads to oppression. And I just want you to know, this is what's so cool about what we get to do as the church, is that we don't operate that way, right? Jesus loves us. The Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear, Right? So as you believe in the perfect love of Jesus, you have nothing to fear. So what that means is you have no one to oppress. That means that you don't have to silence the, the, the dissenters, right? You don't have to silence those who oppose you, who are opposed to the church. And, and we feel this way that I don't know where you're at with God today, where you're at if you're watching online, but if you don't believe what we believe, it's okay. You don't have to believe to belong. We, we believe that with our hearts. And I honestly, as I look at the future, I think, do you know that over the next, you know, generation maybe, I mean, it could be just a few years, that the church may be the only place in society where we can have open, free conversation with those we disagree with. That's, that's the beautiful thing about the family of God is that we have nothing to fear. That we don't want to stop people from talking who don't agree with us. We actually would love to have a conversation We'd love to dig into the, the difficult things and the difficult questions. And, and that's, that's what we're here to do. You see, fear says we need to silence the people we disagree with. Faith says let's search for the truth together. Are you a man or woman of fear or one of faith? Verse 12. Here's another but, right? But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Amen. I, just, I hope you get this because you're going to need to believe this if you're going to be a Christian in the next 10, 15, 20 years. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. This is how God works in the church. Do not fear the oppression that can come. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the soul. So the Bible says. And so we move forward in this with open hands and open arms to the world. We want to be the kind of people who show a different way of dealing with those who disagree with us, a different way of dealing with suffering and struggle. I was reading an article uh, written by a man named Ross Duhat for the New York Times a few weeks ago, and here's what he says. He says, when faced with oppression, we will have either a revolution or a revival. I thought there was a lot of truth in this because you see people rising up, right? And there is a, there's a way to rise up 
You see, the world rises up with, with force, right? With violence and God's people. We show up with a towel and a basin to wash some feet. Why? Because that's how Jesus shows up, right? They wanted force. They wanted power. They wanted a Messiah who would come and crack some skulls together. And Jesus says, whose feet can I wash? How do I get up on a cross and die for you? And if you're going to be a Christian in the next generation, you're going to need a strong enough stomach to be able to give some things up. You're going to need to say, okay, I believe this enough that I'm willing to give some things up to follow this Jesus because his vision for eternity is so much better than what I want right now. So if you're worried about what everybody thinks of you, constantly worried about how to get ahead right here, you are not going to make it through the race. But if you're willing to say, Jesus is enough for me, he's all I want, then I want you to know that he is standing there at the finish line with open arms waiting for you. So I'd love for you to take a next step today. I don't know what God is saying to you, but I've got some action steps. In fact, would you pull this little card out real quick? It's just something we do. If, if you've never been to ACF before or to a church that does this, um, I get that it's a little out of, out of the, the ordinary, but uh, we realize that it's really easy to leave church and do nothing. So the first thing you want to do is tear this off, and it's fun. You get to, yeah, that's kind of cool. So you get to tear that off. And by the way, if you're, if you're there and you're like, you can't tell me what to do, that's fine. Um, but here's my question for you. What did you do after church with the sermon last week? If you're like, I don't even remember what they said. Fill out the card, okay? So that's why we're trying to help you out here. Maybe you need to start off by surrendering your life to Jesus. And you're like, I need that. Um, I've been uh, playing the religious game for too long. I need, a, I need a God who's with me in the mess and in the mud of life. And he wants to be that for you. And so maybe that's your first step. Maybe you're going to look for conversations with those you disagree with this week. And, and you're, you're not going to fear, right? Because you have nothing to fear. If Jesus is who he says he is, you have nothing to fear, right? And I want you to know, like, would you help me out um, and be willing to say, I don't know. Let's go find out together. In fact, can we say this together? Ready? One, two, three. I don't know. Let's go find out together. This is an important thing for the church to be able to say. It's okay to say, I don't know. I say it all the time. People are like, remember, you know, Leviticus chapter 5, verse whatever, and I'm like, I don't know the whole Bible. Like, I got to open up just like anybody else. And so it's okay to say, I don't know. Let's go find out together. Don't be intimidated. If you know Jesus, you are one step ahead of your neighbor who doesn't. That's all you need to help them take a step forward. And so um, maybe it's, uh, you're going to start the Exodus reading plan, right? You're going to be one of these people that doesn't leave this on the floorboard of the car. You're going to save it. You're going to put it somewhere. Yes, excitement. You're going to put it somewhere that you're going to remember it and, and actually walk through it. And what if for the next eight weeks you read through the first 12 chapters of Exodus and you have an overview of your origin story as one of God's people? Maybe you just need to confess your fear to God. You showed up scared today. And there's something in your life that there's just a root of fear. When you look at the world, you just want to hit the eject button. Don't be afraid. The Bible says this over and over again. God says this over and over again. Do not be afraid. So I want you to believe that today. You can drop this in one of the baskets by the doors on the way out or in the give boxes by the doors. So I'm going to give you just a second here to fill this out, and then I'd love to pray for us.
Would you stand with me? God, we just want to start off by laying our fears at your feet and trust that uh, you are God, we are not. God, in the turmoil we see in the world around us, we, uh, we need to know that you're with us in the mess. God, you don't need to do what we expect of you, and life doesn't need to be perfect, and we know it won't be. But God, would you give us the faith to believe that even in the hardest moments, even where you seem like you are most absent, God, that we would see that you are extremely active, present. God, that you hold the universe together with your hands. God, you speak and life begins. Can we trust in that God when things get difficult? So we just stand together. We surrender ourselves to you. We surrender our families to you, our fears, this nation, this world. We trust that you've got this, God. You really do. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.